This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, When All Has Been Heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Are you happy to be here this morning? This morning, I'm so excited to share with you what God is doing all around the world. Our Sabbath school for today will focus on service and its impact. And so we have five young people who will share what God has been doing through various missions. And my prayer this morning is that you will be inspired to go and commit yourselves to evangelism and service every single day. Amen? We will start off with Elder Dwayne McKee, who is the assistant to Ted Wilson on the Total Membership Involvement Initiative, and he will share with us the success of this model all around the world. Hey, thank you, Chantel. And Chantel, by the way, is an international evangelist. She was with us in Rwanda, where 100,000 people were baptized just a few months ago with total member involvement. Somebody said to me, I know what TMI means. I said, what's that? They said, too many people in Indianapolis. No, it's total member involvement. Have you ever heard of the sticky principle? There's a book written about it. You use a title like TMI that people understand and know and remember and connect something else to it that you want to communicate so it works well. People don't forget TMI, total member involvement. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, notice the next words. We sometimes don't look at these next words. Saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given. This is pretty important, isn't it? All heaven. All authority. God has given Jesus this authority our Creator. And then he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. Jesus is with us when we go and preach and teach and baptize and share and witness TMI, Total Member Involvement, is about everybody doing something for Jesus, whether it's prayer, medical missionary work, medical seminars, cooking schools, media, Bible studies, glow track distribution, ADRA, community service projects, small groups, evangelism, all planned. Let me say that again, all planned. Next week is the beginning of the 10 days of prayer, right? all around the world. Why don't we meet together in our churches with the church leaders, the church ministries directors, and plan the year? It's calendar-driven. Put it on the calendar. Put the events together. Connect the dots. If you have an event by itself, a cooking school all by itself, or an evangelistic meeting all by itself, it won't be terribly successful. But when it's all planned together throughout the year, so calendar-driven, connect the dots, and thirdly, synergy. Do it together. When a conference or a union or a country does it all together, Columbia said last night we're going to do TMI in October, 9,000 evangelistic meetings. You hear me? At one time, 
East Africa, 20,000 meetings in March and June next year. Eastern Europe, 4,553 evangelistic meetings in Eastern Europe and Russia. Who ever thought it? Wow. God is doing something. 113,000 TMI events next year. That starts, that's tomorrow, isn't it? 2017. A week ago yesterday, Kathy and I were in Okinawa. We came to Hacksaw Ridge, and we remembered back. 1945, it was Sabbath, May 5. Sabbath, the American offensive was getting ready to push forward, but they were halted. They wouldn't move. The troops wouldn't move. The generals became irritated and agitated, and the commands, the questions went down the chain of command. Why aren't we moving? Well, sir, there's this private. He's uh, studying his Sabbath school lesson, and he's praying. Private Desmond Doss. At the end of that day, he was the only one up there, the only one left dragging out wounded friends, 75 of them, Private Desmond Doss. Young people, like 26-year-old Private Doss, love on-the-edge exciting, thrilling experiences, heart-pounding experiences. Aaron Langworthy, it was New Year's Eve five years ago, Victoria Falls, one of the most exciting, adrenaline-rushing experience in the world. She jumps off the bridge. 50,000 people had jumped off that bridge before, Victoria Falls Bridge, and nothing had happened. But that time, the bungee broke. She hit the water, thinking she had died. Rocks nearby heard the water splash. They swam toward her. Her cord got caught in the ropes in the rocks below. She, she dives down in the Zambezi River, unhooks herself, finally gasping. She makes her way through the rapids to the shore. A fisherman helps her out. Why do young people do crazy stuff like that? I know, I know some GYC people who have ever done that. Don't do it because they like heart-pounding, adrenaline-rushing, exciting, thrilling, on-the-edge experiences. If you want to do something out of the box, knock on a door. <laughs> Preach a series of evangelistic meetings. Wow. Go to Japan next year before Christmas. Kathy and I were just there two weeks ago and in Tokyo, we see this is a non-Christian nation. It wasn't happy holidays. It was Merry Christmas. And the, the hotels and the shopping centers in Okinawa, the same thing. And I'm thinking, wow, what would happen if GYC kids next year before Christmas, because we'll see we have a special focus in 2018 on Japan. If GYC kids would go with glow tracks, do you know the true meaning of Christmas in Japanese and pass out a million glow tracks. Wouldn't that be exciting and preparation? Driving people to a special website where they could sign up for Bible studies, learn about the true meaning 
a Christmas. Wow. Take your Bibles and turn. To Mark chapter 1. I'm sorry. Let's go over now to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 14. Romans 10, 14. Gospel Workers, page 351 says, The work of God in this earth can never be finished until the men, any men here? Yeah. And women. Any women here? Men and women comprising our church membership rally to the work and unite their efforts with those of ministers and church officers. Wow. It'll never be finished. HMS Richard Sr. used to say the work will never get done to all the preachers are put in jail. My wife doesn't like that. I like this solution better. Men and women working together to finish the work. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then shall they call on him and whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Are you willing to be sent by Jesus? Are you willing? You're willing to be sent by Jesus. Do you want, young people, a heart-pounding, adrenaline-rushing, on-the-edge, over-the-top experience? Get out of your comfort zone. Do something in TMI, Total Member Involvement for Jesus. Amen. Have you been blessed this morning? Amen. This morning, I have the privilege of sharing with you all how the Lord has worked in the country of Rwanda and how he worked in my life through this mission. When I look at the life of Jesus, I often ask myself, what is it that made his ministry so successful? Was it because he was Jesus himself and he had all the power of heaven at his aid? Or was it because he simply followed the very command he gave to us? God commands us to go, to teach, to preach, and to baptize. When I first heard about the mission of Rwanda and saw the numbers of baptisms our church was praying for, I thought, wow, that's quite a number, 60,000 baptisms. And shortly after, they increased that number by 40,000. Little did I know that the Lord would lead me to the very mission that would change not only my life, but also the very country of Rwanda. As many of you may know, we had over 2,000 sites in the country of Rwanda, and I had the incredible privilege of preaching at an Adventist university, which had over 2,000 students. I was told that 85 to 90% of the students were non-Adventist, and that they hadn't had much success at reaching them. At the end of the evangelistic series, 173 young people were baptized. I remember the pastor came up to me that afternoon of the baptisms, and he said this. When I was told I was going to have an American preacher come to my site, I was very excited. I was expecting a big, strong, tall, white man. And when we had our meeting and they presented you as our speaker, I was very disappointed. A small woman. 
so I didn't expect much. But my dear sister preacher, I'm so sorry for my little faith. You have done a work that none of us have been able to do at this school. I share this not to boast of myself or lift myself up, because truthfully, I don't have much to offer. But when you have a willing heart, God will do extraordinary things. Oftentimes and most of the time, we limit God to the blessings he has not only for us, but for the rest of his children. If we just take our eyes off, off of ourselves and our incapabilities and place our eyes on Jesus and his capabilities, then things like this, experiences like mine, would be part of our everyday life. The outcome of this mission as a whole was over 100,000 baptisms. But what was it that made this mission so successful? Was it because we had preachers coming from America and other parts of the world? Was it because of the equipment and PowerPoint that we used to attract the locals' attention? Of course, we know that God alone can work in such a mighty way. But what was different about this mission that brought out such a tremendous outcome? Dear friends, the answer is simple. Total member involvement. Literally, having every church member do their part can bring out such an outcome. While I was in Rwanda, day after day, I saw the local church members actively involved in one mission alone. Reach one to bring one. The local church members made it their personal duty to reach out to their surrounding communities. They put aside the idea that evangelism is the pastor's duty alone, and they embraced the opportunity of being co-laborers with God. The church members had no special training. They simply used their God-given talents. And they used them and brought them together to reach those Christ came to save. They realize that time is short and that Jesus is in fact coming soon and that as Seventh-day Adventists, we have a higher calling. And they answered to their duty by saying, here am I, Lord, send me. I met so many people, young and old alike, who said, Vanessa, I have been in the church for so many years and never have I seen the church do something like this. But now, now I realize I don't have to wait on the church. It simply starts with one person. It starts with me. Young people came to me and said, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a singer, but I have a lot of friends and I hold a lot of influence. My life will be the sermon. And because of everything I've learned during this evangelistic series, I'm going to start giving Bible studies. The sincerity and the zeal of these simple people changed the country of Rwanda. Very much the same way Jesus and his 12 disciples changed the world in three years. How much more could we do as a church if we take hold of this mission of total member involvement? How much faster would we see Jesus? I'm going to be honest and vulnerable with you. It was 2015 just last year. I had one of the most difficult years yet. Fake friendships, family issues, a broken relationship, it all brought me down to the deepest depression I have ever experienced in my life. I thought nothing could bring me out of this and because of all the pain, brokenness, and darkness I felt, I began to question my purpose. If God truly had a plan for my life, then why did I feel this way? And so that's when I decided to challenge God. 
You see, I grew up in an Adventist home, had an Adventist education. I went to boarding academy, Bible college, medical missionary training, and had gone on quite a few mission trips, and I still found myself questioning my purpose. You'd think that after having all of these experiences, I'd have it all together. But I was still making the same mistakes. I felt spiritually dead and incapable of making a difference. And so at last year's GYC conference, at the New Year's prayer session, I prayed and I said, Lord, if you truly have a plan for my life, I give you 2016 to prove it to me. I'll give you a whole year to show me your hand in my life, and if by the end of next year I don't experience your life-changing power, then I'm done with this whole idea of Christianity. Lord, if you can still use me, even with my broken and marred past, please show me. And that night I realized that if I was going to challenge God, then I needed to do my part in surrendering everything to him. Dear friends, looking back at 2016, I can truly say that this year has been the most incredible year of my 23 years. My experience in Rwanda was only the beginning to what has been part of my everyday life as a Bible worker. For me, the purpose behind total member involvement is to revive yourself. And by doing so, you revive the church. And by reviving the church, the church will be a light to its community. Maybe today, you are a young person sitting down at this conference or watching us online, and you can identify with my story. Perhaps for most of your life, you have been going through the motions, and honestly, you're afraid. Afraid of taking that step because you feel your past is stained and broken. You feel that you've gone too far or too low that now you have nothing to offer. Or maybe you've just been a bench warmer. You go to church, give your tithes, fulfill your duties, but you're completely unattached to the church, but most importantly, unattached to God. But this morning and throughout this conference, God has been calling to your heart. You hear these testimonies and you think, if only that could be me. The reality is, it can be you. With total member involvement, you don't have to go to other countries to experience something life-changing. Our home is a mission field. Our communities are a mission field. And our churches are in great need of our presence and our involvement. You don't have to go far to make an impact. Start with you. Start with your church. This will make a direct impact on this world and your decision to follow God will be the drop that causes the ripple effect. And you will begin the revolution that will change this world in our generation. God has a plan for each of his children. It's up to us to allow him to write it. A well-known missionary, David Livingston, once said this, God, send me anywhere. Only go with me. Lay any burden on me. Only sustain me. And sever any tie in my heart except the tie that binds my heart to yours. May this be our daily prayer. Good morning, everyone. Wasn't that a beautiful testimony? My name is Felicia, and I would like to share with you an excerpt from a book that I love. It's called Alone with God by Matilda Andros. Over the hills and far away is a never-failing spring. From it, 
A small stream runs laughing down the valley, a stream so small that you can step across it. As it goes on and on down the valley, slipping past a hundred hills, darting through fertile fields, skirting thriving cities, it grows until it becomes the irresistible river flowing at your feet. All along the way, the river takes into its bosom water from smaller streams, but it gives to take. All along the way, it is giving itself. It waters the grass and the flowers on its banks. The trees slip down their roots and drink its moisture. The birds bathe in its pools. The cattle quench their thirst in its cooling current. The fish depend on it for food and commerce upon its bosom. And finally, without seeking reward, its waters slip quietly on and lose themselves in the eternal deep. This is the story the river tells. It is the story of the unselfish and efficient life, the life that counts, the life of evangelism, the life that every single Adventist member should be living. There are many persons who feel that the mission field is some faraway land in some remote village in a forest somewhere or standing frail on a mountainside, but we know that there is a great mission field right here in the cities of the United States or in your hometown. I would love to share with you an amazing opportunity we had this summer where we implemented a model for evangelism that we hope you will adopt and implement in your home churches. On June 17th to 29th, a small group of young people led by Chantal Kayumba, the director of missions for GYC, came together in Houston for mission work. First, we chose a home, birth, a home base. For work like this, you have to have a home base. Having a home base allows you to receive encouragement and support. Each member of the church is called to be a missionary. In the mornings, we gathered for worship and for workshops that highlighted topics such as the role that personality plays in evangelism and the influence that personal devotion has on a lifestyle of evangelism. After our morning presentations, we engage in community work in an effort to build relationships with people, businesses, and ministries in the area around the church. Some of the activities included packing medical supplies for shipment to Navy areas around the world, glowing busy areas and visiting a senior's home, and also leading a health expo. A group of canvassers had been working the area while we were there, and they received a lot of requests for Bible studies. On Sabbath afternoon, church members came together and we went out into the community to drop off Bible study packages. There were three main things that we sought to stress through this method. First, we wanted to emphasize that evangelism is not just something that you do. It is a lifestyle. On your job, on campus, in our neighborhoods, we should be constantly creating ways to bring persons to know Jesus Christ. Being a missionary is not simply going abroad. It is completing the mission that Christ has given you right in the area where he has placed you. Secondly, we sought to engage every single member of the church, from the member who says that she is too busy to get involved to the member who says that he feels he has nothing to offer. We fail to realize that a church is as strong as their least active member. Finally, we wanted to establish and maintain connections with businesses and people in the area around the churches. 
Seventh-day Adventist churches should not be ornaments in a community, but an active force creating vibrations in the surrounding areas. One of the most impactful experiences that I had while I was there was visiting a home for seniors. It reminded me of how fragile life is. We have youthfulness one moment and then life passes away. One of the missionaries said that she loved seeing how the persons there responded to our presence, how they enjoyed us just singing with them. Another young missionary said she enjoyed working for Project Cure, where we helped pack medical supplies. It was amazing that the little that you do locally can have such a far-reaching impact. We went glowing in several areas, and I was amazed at the sheer amount of people who were willing to have someone pray with them, who were willing to receive a track. Usually we allow unsubstantiated fear to stop us from fulfilling a mission that God has commanded us to do. We look at people and assume that they're okay. One gentleman had lost his brother two days before. One lady was excited and nervous about a new pregnancy. And another lady felt as if her life was falling apart. All of them expressed how blessed they were to have a stranger pray for them. I remember in particular two gentlemen in a park. We offered him a glow track and he didn't want it at first. We walked away, but when we were passing back, he called us. And he said, I noticed a few of you in the park. And I noticed that you look so peaceful. And whatever it is that you have, I want it. We have so much reason to be stressed, but you all look so at peace. What is it that you have? Please, can I have it? And we handed him a glow track again, and we said, this is something that can possibly give you hope. He was in church the following Sabbath. We love to say as young people, many of us, that the church is not serving young people and that the church is not catering to our needs. I have personally found the opposite is true. Many of us as young people are not serving, and we are not catering to the needs of others. We say that we are not being given the opportunity to serve, but we fail to realize that the church doesn't have to give us the opportunity to be a missionary. It is a lifestyle. God has gifted every single one of us here with the gifts, talents, abilities, energy, strength, and resources to fulfill the gospel commission. What is it that's stopping us? In Psalm 90:12, it says, So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Realizing that you don't have a lot of time has an impact on your attitude and your actions. In 1844, when the church thought that the coming of Christ was very near, their perspective and their lives changed dramatically, and it showed in the way that they lived. We have a, t a short time left. My appeal to you is to transform your church into a home base for soldiers fulfilling a mission. Create a vision to win your city, and then go out and win that city for Christ. Romans 10, 13 and 14. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Will you go out and preach to them today? Good morning, everybody. You want a heart-pumping experience? Get nine minutes and every word counts. Okie dokie. Here we go. 
So my wife and I are missionaries in the Middle East and North Africa Union, also commonly referred to as MENA. Um, in MENA, there are two initiatives. One of them is uh, the tent maker program where professionals can get into the MENA region and they can work and they can witness within their work sphere, okay? Another initiative that my wife and I are involved in is called the Waldensian Student Program. And here, it takes students, gets them plugged into public universities in this area, and through the classroom, they have an opportunity to witness. The first time we heard about the Adventist Church doing any kind of significant work in the Middle East or North Africa was actually last year at GYC. In fact, I think that if we hadn't gone to GYC, we wouldn't be where we are today. It was there that we heard about the great need for workers in the Middle East and North Africa, and we responded uh, to a call to move forward. Um, we heard staggering statistics, um, such as in the country that we're serving in now, there are only five Seventh-day Adventists natively from this country in the whole world. And this is a country that has a population greater than that of Texas. Imagine if we knew that there were only five Seventh-day Adventists from Texas. Like, that's just crazy. So my husband and I really started praying about if this was really where God was calling us to go. And we started wrestling with God about going to the Middle East. Yes, this was a difficult decision. It wasn't one that we could make easily or lightly. Uh, we knew that the decision that uh, God was calling us into was going to bring heartache to our families, for one. Um, even to ourselves, because we're going to have to really literally wrestle with God about this decision. Um, a big opposition that we had at first was from our families. You know, they were concerned for us. Um, as you can imagine, uh, imagine uh, one of your children or your brother or something like that says, we're going to go to the Middle East or North Africa, and you only know what's on the media, okay? You're going to be concerned. You're going to say, well, maybe there's, a, there's a, definitely a felt risk there. Um, but in reality, what we learned is that there's a, a different uh, kind of lifestyle that's lived there. It's very much like normal life. It's actually really nice. But the, this, the difficult decision that we were facing from our family, it brought tears. It brought some separation at, at, at times, you know. And we really had to wrestle, does God really want us to be here? Because our parents, we want to follow them. We want to listen to them. We want to uh, obey what they're, they're saying, you know. Um, but we also want to uh, obey God first because he is our Heavenly Father. Um, and so another opposition that we face, or at least a, um, um, what's the word? Objection. Uh, an objection that we faced um, was that we were already actively involved in ministry here in the United States. We were both Bible workers and with uh, schools of evangelism and things like that. Uh, very full-time doing mission work or uh, ministry right here in the United States. And we were presented with, hey, you can be a missionary anywhere. And I believe that. Don't get me wrong. But the thing that kept on coming back to my mind is, if we all stay here and no one goes over there, then how are these people over there going to be reached? And the thing is, there's, I mean, in our country, there are eight workers, eight out of the whole country of millions, 30-something million people, there's eight workers, okay? This area needs people. It's definitely needing people. And so when we looked at this, uh, we realized that it was going to cost something for us. Yeah, we really were still struggling with the decision to go, and it was the weekend before our ticket to go to the Middle East, and we were still on the fence. Um, should we go or not? Is this really what God is calling us to do? And so I prayed, and I asked God that if he wanted us to go, 
that he would have me meet somebody from the Middle East at church the next day. And without me knowing, my husband prayed that he would meet a converted Seventh-day Adventist uh, that, that converted from Islam in church. And we went to a tiny little church that day out in the country that we had never been to before. And we saw in front of us during the service a man reading his Bible in Arabic. We found out afterwards that he was Iranian. He had escaped from Iran in fear for his life because his father and his brother found out that he had been reading the Bible. And when he got to Denmark, there was a Seventh-day Adventist tourist handing out tracts as a Sabbath outreach. He got one, he came to church, and eventually he got Bible studies and he was baptized. Then through the refugee program, he was moved to the tiny little town where we went to church that day. And so, brothers and sisters, when, when we saw how God answered this prayer, we said, okay, we're going. Um, but really, what, thinking about this story of this man, it's not an unusual story of sacrifice. When, when a Muslim leaves their faith to follow Jesus, they sacrifice everything. They know that they'll be rejected by their family. They might even be killed by those they love the most. They face a life of complete trial and persecution, and this is very real. So wasn't I willing to make a much smaller sacrifice that I might reach these people? And not only that, I thought about the sacrifice that Jesus made for me. He left a place that was comfortable he left a place that was safe to go to a place that was uncomfortable and dangerous. And he did it so that he could save you and me. And so wasn't I willing to go to a place that I per perceived as dangerous and uncomfortable that I might win some to him? So we ended up going. And now that we are in this region, in the Middle East, North Africa, um, our experience has been wonderful. We've been able to make friends and um, have some good experience in being able to share Jesus with people in conversation. So through the Waldensian Student Program, you have the opportunity to take classes with regular Muslims in a regular environment for their everyday life. And through this, we met a friend, okay? And one of our friends we would spend a lot of time with, she spoke English, so it was very easy uh, to start a friendship there. And we would oftentimes go to eat, get something uh, after class. And during this time, before we would eat, my wife and I would say, hey, do you mind if we uh, ask a blessing on the food? You know, just pray real quick. And at first she was kind of like, well, let's, okay, let's, you can try that, sure, go ahead. And so we did it, and we said amen, at the end of it she was kind of quiet. Um, but then we kept on doing this, and eventually she started saying amen also. And it got to the point where she was kind of expecting, all right, we got the food now, uh, you guys going to pray now, right? And uh, it was like, it was starting to click with her, you know? And because uh, every time you pray with somebody, like for a blessing, for example, you get 30 seconds to have a sermon with them, okay? 30 seconds, they have to listen to you, and it's, uh, it's a great opportunity. Um, but it's a great opportunity to talk about your relationship with God, how you view God. And for her, it was something new, okay? She, she told her, you know, I've started to do this at home also. I've started to pray before meals. And so anyways, we're at our graduation dinner, okay? This is uh, for the our, one of our language schools. And we went out with all of our Muslim friends, and the food was served. And before we were about to eat, uh, she was like, oh, wait, 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 guys, we had to pray first. Uh, Jonah, 
that's me, Jonah, um, pray for us right here. And for me, it was kind of like I was put on the spot, you know, because I didn't have this same relationship with everybody that we were in class with, you know. And so I was like, are you guys cool with that? And they're like, yeah, yeah, it's great. So again, 30-second sermon right there. But the thing is, um, guys, we all have an opportunity to do something for God, okay? If God is laying on your heart, Muslims in particular, come by our booth. We're there in the exhibit hall. We have a lot of different avenues to get you guys plugged in, resources that we can direct you to about how to do this here at home and abroad. Because the thing is, uh, as the name Jonah implies, um, whenever God calls us to do something, it's always safer to do it the first time. If God is laying on your heart a burden and a passion for these people, literally to go back to Nineveh, okay, just remember, uh, if you don't want to get swallowed by a big fish, just go, all right? <clears throat> but nevertheless, really, guys, God has a, a, a huge amount of people here that he wants to see come back home. And I can't believe no one has used this yet, but Houston, we have a problem. And uh, we got to get them back home, all right? Thank you, guys. Have you been blessed by the testimonies this morning? Before I start, I'd like to share a quick story with you. So I'm a nursing student, and in nursing we have what we call clinical placements. And so you're placed in a hospital for about four months, and you, you practice all the skills that you learn in class. And the majority of nursing students are women. So last semester, I was in my nursing clinical placement, and there happened to be a guy among us. For nurses, you know, this is a very special thing. Not only was there a guy, he happened to be very, very good looking. <laughs> and so I was very happy. I spent a little bit more time getting ready in the morning to go to clinical. Um, and as we were sitting, the girls, um, we were sitting together one day, and one of the girls was like, hey, Chantel, he looks at you a lot. And I'm like, oh, let's all stay calm. <laughs> um, we don't want to get carried away here. And so I continued to remain calm and collected and cool. And uh, one day he came up to us and he said, I have something to say. And so we all listened intently and he said, I just wanted to tell you, Chantel, that you have really nice eyes. Wow. <laughs> I was amazed. Like, out of all the seven girls, he came up to me and told me that I have nice eyes. Wow. And so... I remained calm and collected and continued not to get my hopes high. Eventually, our relationship blossomed and uh, he began to bring me smoothies, knowing that I was Adventist, coffee didn't work. Um, <laughs> so he brought me smoothies every morning and he'd have one for himself and one for me. And so by now I knew this was my man. God had brought my man to my clinical and it was just an answer to prayer. And so I told my parents about it. I was like, Mom, Dad, I don't want to alarm you, but I think God brought my husband to my clinical placement. One day, I decided, you know what? Enough is enough. He's been doing so much for me, it's time for me to reciprocate. And so I thought really hard, what can I do to show the man that I love him? And so I woke up one morning, got dressed in my scrubs and did a little bit extra, and collected, bought two smoothies, one for me and an extra large for him. And I arrived at clinical bright and early and waited around the nurse's desk, waiting for him to arrive so that I could casually give him a smoothie. 
And so finally he came in through the doors and I had my two smoothies. And just as I was walking up to him to finally, you know, proclaim my love, I see another girl walk by. And so I paused with my two smoothies in hand and I watched very closely. And so this girl walked up to him and she hugged him. She hugged my man. <laughs> and so I watched it happen. And then she proceeded to kiss him. So now I'm standing there like, who is this girl and why is she kissing my man? So I turned around with my two smoothies, very disappointed and embarrassed, and went to tell the girls, you won't believe what happened. He has another girl. He must have another girl. I mean, there's no way that this girl, this stranger, came and kissed him. And so we all talked about it for a while, and we came to one conclusion. The conclusion was, men are trifling. <laughs> This morning, I was not sent to speak about men or their trifling nature. <laughs> I was sent to speak about service and evangelism. And so how do the two connect? Ellen G. White has a quote, a very profound quote, and it says, to trifle with hearts is a crime of no small magnitude in the sight of a holy God. And yet some will show preference for young ladies and call out their affections and then go their way and forget all about the words they have spoken and their effect. A new face attracts them and they repeat the same words and devote to another the same devotions. Could it be that you and I are trifling with the hearts of humanity? That even our ministry is of a trifling nature? You see, I'd like to change the quote a little bit and say to trifle with hearts is a crime of no small magnitude in the sight of a holy God, and yet some will show preference for a community or initiative and call out its affections and attention and then go their way and forget about the gospel they have spoken and its effect. A new community and initiative attracts them and they repeat the same gospel and devote to another the same attentions? Could it be that you and I, in our very ministry, are trifling with the hearts of humanity? Before I continue, let me share with you what God did in the island of Manitoulin. This is an island that has no Adventist presence, not a single Adventist on the entire island. And so GYC had the privilege of going there two years ago. And on this island, I was the leader of the mission. There was about 40 of us, and it was my first time leading. I want to pause right there because some of us haven't gone on mission. Some of us haven't become involved because we think, I lack experience. Friends, God does not need your experience. He needs your willingness. And so we go to this island, and we didn't even have a game plan. I didn't know that you create an itinerary before you go on mission. And so we went there, free-spirited, free-minded. And as we were canvassing one day, I handed the great controversy to one of the people on the island, on a reserve. And he looked at the front, he looked at the back, he read a little bit, and he got really excited. And I was excited because he was excited. But then he handed the book back to me and he said, when I read this book, when I get converted, who will I share what I find with? 
And I wanted to tell him, you know what? On Saturday, you can go to the Adventist church. On Wednesday, you can go to prayer meeting. Maybe this elder will come and visit you. But there is no Adventist on the island. There would be no one to follow up with him. We went to another reserve on the island, and this reserve is one of the only unseated reserves. They, they have no accountability to the Canadian law. And so we went there, and before we arrived, we were warned about the violence and the crime, and we were told that if anything happened to us, that the police couldn't save us. I didn't know the GYC insurance policies, but you know, we went forward. And when we arrived with fear, God did something amazing. That day was the day that we sold the most books. And at every door we went to, we saw a need. I remember going to one door and it was a homosexual couple. Both of them had grown up abused. And you could see that the home was just devoid of hope. We went to another door and it was a woman with seven kids. And some of them weren't even hers. And she didn't know how to take care of them. Every single door was full of need. And I wanted to direct them to community services. I wanted to direct them to someone. But there's no Adventist presence on the island. And that was two years ago. We went to another reserve and we held a health expo. And on the third day of the health expo, the chief kicked us off the reserve. And we were very discouraged. Four months later, we went back for follow-up. And we realized, or we found out that the chief of that reserve had soon been removed and replaced by the daughter, the daughter of the mother whose home we had remodeled. And when, we told, when the mother told us the story, she said, you guys are more than welcome back. How could my daughter refuse the angels who remodeled my home? Friends, the island of Manitoulin is full of potential. And this was two years ago, and there remains no Adventist presence on the island. How long will we trifle with the hearts of humanity? I long to see a small group on this island. I long to see a church on this island. And more than I long for it, God longs for it. How long will we be proud of our simple results? Friends, I'm not proud of our results because I know that there is much more that can be done. I'm not happy when I see a hundred people come up for a mission appeal because there are thousands here. How long will we be proud with our simple results? How long will we trifle with the hearts of humanity? There are hearts that are ready to hear and respond to the gospel, but the laborers are few. Will you go? This morning, you've heard testimonies from all around the world. You've heard testimonies from Rwanda. You've heard testimonies from Houston, from the Middle East. God is moving in mighty and vivid ways. I had the privilege of being in Rwanda, and on the day of the baptisms at my site, I noticed an old man crying. And I was like, why is this man crying? He's not being baptized. He didn't preach. I didn't see him put any effort into anything. Why is he so entitled? Why is he crying? And so I walked up to him and I said, sir, why are you crying? And he responded to me. He said, you know what? I have no talents, but I have a truck. And every single day I went to the farthest area and I picked up people in my truck. And I'm telling you, like 70 people would come out of this truck. And he said a few of them 
are being baptized today. I was part of this baptism. Friends, what is holding you back? What is holding you back today? How long will you trifle with the hearts of humanity? Today, God is asking us to go, and I wonder who will go. How long will we come to conferences like GYC and hear the gospel spoken and remain in our seats and go home the same? How long will we trifle with the hearts of humanity? The harvest is ready. I've seen it around the world, but the laborers are few. I'm tired of one-hit wonders. I'm tired of two-week missions where we come back with testimonies and we write about them and we share them, but we forget about the communities who we've trifled with. Two years ago, we went to Manitoulin, and there remains no Adventist presence on the island. The unreached areas remain unreached, and yet we sit here proud of ourselves. You see, I believe that more than trifling with the hearts of humanity, we've trifled with the heart of God himself. We've trifled with the heart of God himself. We trifle with him when we show interest in him. We hear the gospel spoken at GYC and we get excited. I've heard so many people in the hallway saying, I'm so excited about what I'm hearing. But then we fail to commit to a relationship with him. We fail to go public with our love for him. God longs for our personal commitment. And if you're sitting here and you're wondering, Lord, why am I not seeing miracles? There's times when I read the Bible and I thought it was false because I had not seen miracles like that. Friends, until you go out and you risk for God, you will not see miracles. Do you need miracles to wake up and do ordinary things? But when we do extraordinary things for God, when we go out for Him, you will see the very hand of God. How long will we trifle with the heart of God? This weekend, we've heard so much. Our hearts have been touched. We've been inspired and strengthened. But I submit to you that unless you get involved in evangelism and service, this weekend will soon become a memory. And the gospel will become mere information. How long will we trifle? with the hearts of humanity, and with the heart of God. This morning, I'd like to make a specific appeal, and I'm looking for hundreds of young people. I'm expecting much, because we have a God who's done much for us. I'd like to make an, a specific appeal for young people that are ready to stop trifling with the hearts of humanity. Young people that are tired of flirting with God. Young people that are saying, I want to go out and do something. There's four opportunities for you today, four specific opportunities. The first is you're saying, I want to be part of the solution in Manitoulin. I want to go on a GYC mission. If that is your desire today, I invite you to come forward. And if you're not coming forward, you're praying for the people next to you. If you're saying, I want to be part of the solution in Manitoulin, I invite you to come forward and join us on a GYC mission. Thank you. My second appeal is to someone who's heard the testimony by Vanessa and saying, I want to go on a TMI mission. Sign me up. 
I invite you to come forward. The third appeal is for someone who is willing to go and die. Someone willing to go to the Middle Eastern North Africa Union. If that is your desire, I invite you to come forward. And my last and final appeal is for someone who is saying, I want to go to my campus. I want to go to my church as a missionary, not as an ordinary person, because I have the gospel. I want to go. I invite you to come forward. How long will we trifle with the hearts of humanity? If you're not coming, you're praying. This is a salvational issue, my friend. We can no longer call ourselves Christians and remain inactive. God was never passive in his approach to us. When he left heaven and came to earth to be born as a man, God was not passive in his approach to us. God has never trifled with us. In his outreach to us, he was faithful to its completion. He follows up with us each and every day. He follows up with us right now as he asks us to get involved in mission. How long will we trifle with the heart of God? How long will we nullify the power of the cross by failing to share it with humanity? Friends, I'm not satisfied. The appeal still stands. If you want to be signed up, whether it be a GYC mission, a TMI mission, as a missionary to the Middle East, or in your local churches and your campuses, I invite you to come forward. There's still room. How long will we trifle with the hearts of humanity? Friends, my goal, my hope this weekend is that you go home with a plan of how you will be a missionary in 2017. All of this information is nonsense if we never apply it. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.